I'm Pastor Darrell Curtis, and you're listening to the 39th part of my sermonic review of the last year of the life of Christ, in which my point is that riches tend to change us into people who forget that God created the world and gave us dominion over the resources of the world that we control. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. So our lesson this morning is the 39th part of our sermonic review of the last year of the life of Christ. And the text is Luke chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, which says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name. Of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, this lesson begins with the episode of a dissatisfied tax collector. Luke 19, 1 and 2 records, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, riches, as we have discussed, have the potential to be a problem. We have, for the last two weeks, referred to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, which reads, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul in this passage of scripture tells us that we should be content if we have food and clothing. God does not expect us to be penniless or to beg, but to have enough. The Lord tells Israel of the provisions that he made for them in the promised land as he speaks to them in Deuteronomy 28, 9, 11 through 13, which says the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, 
in the Lord of which the land swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So God planned for the Israelites to live in abundance, but God also recognized that the abundant resources would not be equally distributed. He says in Deuteronomy 15, 1 and 2, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. And God defines the conditions of extending credit in Israel in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, 8, and 11, which says, if there is, a poor, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. So although God declares that he is creating a land of great abundance for Israel, God also declares that in this promised land, which is flowing with milk and honey, there will always be poor people. There will always be a need for borrowing, for lending, and for giving to the poor. And it is interesting that on the one hand, God creates abundance in the land, but then on the other hand, he distributes the abundance so that those who lack can be supported by those who have. Of course, it looks to me as though this uneven distribution of income may to some degree be a test. Deuteronomy 15, 9 and 10 says, Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. If an Israel lent to his poor brother in the sixth or seventh year, it was very likely that the poor brother would not have to pay him back because of the year of the release. But God made it clear that the Israelite must lend anyway because the resources that he, were, he was lending were not actually his, but God's. And you may remember from our previous study that Genesis teach us, teaches us rather that we have dominion over the world. And these passages of Scripture in Deuteronomy teach us that part of our dominion 
is to rectify the unequal distribution of resources in the world in order to make sure that everyone has enough and that no one starves. One of the temptations and snares of riches of which Paul speaks in 1 Timothy 6 is loving money, which means to hoard resources, to collect them, not for God's purpose, but simply to have the resources. This is contrary to the law of God, and God is not pleased with us when we do that. As Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, which says, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells those who are blessed with riches that they are a part of God's plan and that God's plan is not, not self-aggrandizement, but service. God does not give us excess resources so that we can hoard them, but so that we can supervise their distribution. Now, having made the point, let us return to our discussion about the rich man Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 3 through 4. The Bible says, And Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, because he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, one of the more pervasive truths of growing up is that people tend to conform to the norm, and generally speaking, anyone that is different in a material way is ridiculed. The reason that our children want stylish clothes is so that they are not teased for not conforming or being different. Conformity is important in the socialization of the immature with one another. And of course, most of us tend not to conform to the norm in one way or another and receive ridicule for doing so. Now, according to an article on everystudent.com, Americans spend $33 billion annually on dietary products, $20 billion annually on cosmetics, and $300 million annually on cosmetic surgery. I recently watched an interesting television show in which a fellow was undergoing a complex surgery to add three inches of length to each of his legs, a surgery for which he was paying from his own pocket. Cosmetic leg lengthening surgeries typically cost between $40,000 and $70,000, and of course are not generally covered by health insurance. And the surgery is extremely painful and requires the patient to be in a wheelchair for six months or more. And when this particular individual was asked while he was spending the money to undergo such a painful, complex, and risky procedure just to become three inches taller, he said 
that being only five feet tall had become just too painful to endure. He mentioned specifically that he would like to be able to date a woman that he could actually look in the eye without having to look up at her. Now this might seem trivial to those of us who are of average height, but we should all recognize that we have some characteristic that we would like to change and given the financial wherewithal, we might spend the money to do so. And as I previously mentioned, Americans spend $33 billion on weight loss products annually. And last year I found out that spending money on losing weight is unnecessary. Losing weight is much less expensive than keeping weight on. Fruits and vegetables prepared at home cost much less than fast food meals. Of course, it takes time to prepare the vegetables and some discipline to get used to the taste of them, especially when you are used to the taste of the high-calorie ingredients designed to make fast food taste so good. But the reason that Americans spend $33 billion on weight loss products annually and are generally unsuccessful in losing weight is that the process of weight loss is not in and of itself emotionally fulfilling. The problem that we are addressing is emotional fulfillment. Some people adopt a sedentary lifestyle, generally, generally replete with television, computers, and or video games combined with overeating to compensate for a lack of emotional fulfillment. Others become driven in their chosen profession and become workaholics and largely successful. The fact is that when we lack emotional fulfillment, we have to do something to compensate. The three options that I have mentioned are either surgery or a physical regimen to change our physical structure, overindulgence, or an inappropriate attachment to work. Now, changing his physical structure was not an option for Zacchaeus, and so it was very likely that he decided on an inappropriate attachment to work, which often allows driven people to join the ranks of those that become rich. They spend their time making money and little time spending it. And since the real problem is emotional fulfillment, the question then becomes, what is God's plan to give us emotional fulfillment our non-standard physical characteristics notwithstanding. Well, God's plan to give us emotional fulfillment is to make us social animals, animals rather, and give us acceptance of one another to assuage our emotions. That is the meaning of Genesis 2.18, which says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to to him. Now it is obvious from the characteristics of the woman that God created that man's need for help did not include a need for increased physical strength. The difference between man and woman is emotional. Women are designed to help men by giving them emotional acceptance leading to physical pleasure, not physical strength. The contrast between the sexes leads to the division of labor between them, that is, the man is stronger and more likely to be hurt doing his part, which the woman is able to provide the emotional motivation 
and support the man's needs so that he keeps risking himself as he tends to and keeps the garden. So God's plan for man's emotional security is, as Genesis 2.24 tells us, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the scripture says nothing about Zacchaeus' marital status, but it allows us to infer some things about Zacchaeus' emotional status. First of all, the mention of Zacchaeus' lack of height leads us to infer that he has a deficiency in his emotional state. Secondly, the fact that Zacchaeus is a rich tax collector allows us to infer that being emotionally abused about his height may have made him a more tenacious tax collector against those that taunted him, even to the point of collection with no mercy, which might have accounted for his status as a rich man. Finally, the Bible shows us the disdain in which Zacchaeus' peers held him. Luke 19, 5-7 says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, Zacchaeus is a short sinner who is hated because he collects taxes, but he knows with whom he needs to meet to relieve his emotional trauma. He climbs the tree to get the attention of Jesus, and Jesus acknowledges Zacchaeus because Jesus has come as a healer to heal all things. Zacchaeus is short but he knows that the healing he knows the healing power that Jesus has and seeks Jesus out to heal his emotional pain but Zacchaeus knew that even though we may have circumstances that lead us to emotional pain we cannot wallow in our emotional pain but we have to do something about it on our own Jesus told the parable of the rich person that did not use his riches well in Luke 16, 19 through 25, which says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was, that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good, time, your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. So the question is, is it better to be rich or poor? 
It depends upon your focus. If you have a short-term focus, I suppose that it is better to be rich because you have nice clothing and good food every day that you are alive on the earth. But looking at it from the long-term point of view, the poor man received evil things in this life but died and went to heaven while the rich man received good things in this life but died and went to hell. And since it is true that we are all going to die, ultimately, which is better, to be rich or to be poor? Well, as I mentioned earlier, riches lead to responsibility. The rich man acted as though he believed in the adage that he who dies with the most money wins. He found out to his sorrow that this adage is not true. The rich man enjoyed his riches, but he didn't care for the poor beggar at his door. As a matter of fact, the rich man sent his dog out to lick the poor beggar's sores. The result? When the rich man died, he went to Hades to be tormented because of his lack of care for Lazarus. Zacchaeus has heard the parable and is not about to make that mistake. In Luke 19 and 8, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, it may be that Lazarus can give half his fortune and still be rich, but the fact is that he is willing to give away that which he has acquired, and it means that he has developed the mind of Christ. As we have, as Jesus discussed in Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28, which says, Then Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Zacchaeus, the short, driven, emotionally challenged tax collector, had been converted by the attention of Jesus into a man that is willing to give rather than just take. Zacchaeus needed a healing, not a physical healing, but an emotional one, and the interaction and acceptance of Jesus Christ was sufficient to heal the hurt in Zacchaeus, which we know because Zacchaeus was ready to give, to part with his riches, and to become Christ-like. So, is it better to be rich or to be poor? The answer is, it is better to be changed. Although Lazarus was rich before he met Jesus, he did not feel very kindly disposed toward those that ridiculed him because of his lack of stature, nor did he cherish his relationship with those from whom he collected taxes. Now, I don't know whether Lazarus had a wife to accept him and make him feel better, but I do know that when Lazarus experienced the acceptance of Jesus Christ, his perspective changed and he developed the love of God for his fellow man. Lazarus avoided the fate of the rich man that failed to tend to the beggar at his door, as Jesus tells us in our text, 
in Luke chapter 19, 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The issue is not the amount of money that you have. Rich people and poor people alike can go to heaven. But our focus on the riches that we possess and the fact that we see them as ours has the tendency to change us emotionally into people that judge other people harshly and feel it necessary to evaluate their worthiness to decide whether or not we will help them. Riches tend to change us into people who forget that God created the world and gave us the dominion over the resources of the world that we control by his grace rather than because of our abilities or worthiness. Even as he gave the man and the woman in the garden control over the fruit of the trees, although they ultimately proved to be sinners. The Holy Spirit teaches us through the administration of the Apostle John in 1 John 3.17, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? But suppose your brother in need doesn't deserve your help. Well, is that your call to make? Paul describes our interdependence with one another in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, which says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one, a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The snare of riches is that we tend to administer them emotionally rather than according to the principles of God. We are willing to share with those who meet our emotional need for admiration and attention while we reject those who do not measure up to our standards or give us that which we want emotionally. But how can we have such standards, especially when we recognize that we are not the owners of that which we have, but have received the things of this world as a gift from God? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5:43 through 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It may be that you are wasting your substance by giving it to someone that is not going to use it well. But Jesus points out that God wastes substance every day. He wastes the sunshine on the evil and rain on the unjust. The crop of the sinner grows by God's grace just as does the crop of the saint. And although the rich man died and went to hell, God gave him riches before he went. But to be saved requires a change of perspective. Consider that everything you know about the acquisition and administration of resources is wrong, and everything that the Bible teaches us about the acquisition and administration of resources is correct. Jesus came to earth bringing a new perspective, one in which giving rather than receiving became the sign of the greatest good. Matthew 20 and 28 tells us, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So in the final analysis, your financial status in this world is irrelevant. Be rich or poor as you choose, but the Bible teaches that it is better to be godly and content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Ultimately, whether rich or poor, it is better to be giving. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have our marching orders. Let us emulate Zacchaeus and use the resources that God gave us as God instructs us. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson that you have given us and for the wisdom of the word. And help us, Lord, as, as we continue to study your word to develop a proper perspective. We understand that we've come from the things of the world into the things of your word and help us, Lord, as we grow in the word to understand that which you are telling us, that we might be able to change our actions and grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that in the house today, and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. 
We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit familylifebc.com.